everybody. It's Peter Dodd. Pete the Putner. Hello. <clears throat> oh, hi, Dame. Hi, Pete. Um, I am forcing the energy out of the body today. Uh, Miguel is by my side, along with you, Krav Madi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Pete the Planner Show. Dame and Pete are here to serve your funny and money needs. How do we contact uh, Kirkland and, and get some uh, advertising money for that, uh, that Miguel? You are telling me that Kirkland may be interested in our podcast, which has been downloaded over 2 million times. Really? Yeah, I've told you that. Uh, it just sounds impressive every time you say it out loud. Uh, I don't, you know, a lot of times, I mean, no judgment zone here. No judgment zone. A lot of times people will be like, oh, I didn't put you on the screen yet. Speaking of no judgment. Uh, people will tweet or, or post about their podcast and they'll say, just crossed over the 100,000 download mark. And I'm glad. I think it's good marketing. I have no interest in that. Like, I don't think I've ever publicly say we've been downloaded over 2 million times. Um, but there, I've just said it and I will never say it again. Look out, Joe Rogan. <laughs> I didn't think I'd talk about uh, the Fear Factor <laughs> host today. World leader slash Fear Factor host slash MMA Krav Madi expert. Dame, have you had a good week? It's been a very busy week, very productive week. So, yes, it's been a good week. Oh, Dame. All right. So, uh, you know, I have to admit, I woke up yesterday morning, I believe it was, and read the news of Ukraine uh, getting invaded by uh, Russia. And uh, it just, to say it's a bummer, it, it sort of marginalizes is the situation. Like, it, it was just so shocking and awful to see. And I think back to when you and I were, you know, watching war take place on TV and September 11th and, you know, that whole thing. And it's just like, here we are again, here we are again. And, uh, I mean, we're not directly involved yet. Um, that just made me sad. And did you feel that way? Yeah. I, it's like, you know, okay, the, the, this new season of war is shaping up to be you know, one of the, the biggest cliffhangers. It just feels like it's, it's one, one, uh, what do you? If you don't want to use war, one uh, thing after another. As, as far as just trying to, you know, I remember distinctly where I was. And you might. Uh, we were probably sixth grade when yep. George Bush came on the TV late one evening to say that we were invading uh, Iraq as a, or Kuwait, I think, at that time. Uh, and it just seems like it's been one announcement after another uh, in that region of the world, and, and now a little bit north, but. Uh, it's interesting watching my kids go through an announcement like this for the first time as well and uh, getting their reactions and their perspectives. And uh, it, it, it takes on a different meaning when you, you've got little ones in your house who are experiencing this for the, the first time. You know, I'm embarrassed to say I have not been home much this week, <laughs> kind of like last week, uh, which is to say I haven't even talked to my kids about it. And so now I instantly feel like the worst done father of the two of us. Well, you had a 50-50 shot. Dame, I have a presentation in which I've uh, been giving recently talking about our executive team here at work. And there's a slide with your picture on it and my picture on it and our other colleagues on the executive team. And in parentheses under your name, it says not related to Peter Dunn. Good. I mean, that's probably smart. And then I made the joke last night as I was covering this with a group. I said, you know sort of weird that the first thing I tell you about someone is that, no, they're not related to me. And that shouldn't be a standoffish comment. It's just saying that there's no nepotism. That's all it's saying. Yeah, it makes sense. Dame, on the show this week, we are going to talk about Ukraine and uh, the war in Ukraine. Um, but, and, and I'll disclaim this once we get on the air too, but I, I just want to keep in the forefront of our minds that the, the real tragedy here is not the economic consequences that, that people will feel and the market consequences that we will feel. It's actually the people in danger. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a tough thing. When, I, when the conflict started yesterday, conflict, when the war started yesterday, uh, you get on Twitter and, of course, everyone's, you know, y y leveraging the war to make their own point about their own uh, narrative. And immediately people are like, oh, great, there goes the price of oil, you know, and it's just like, OK, yes, it's true. But if that's the first thing you tweet within minutes of 
seeing that <laughs> this country is being attacked. Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, I don't know. I I saw a video this morning of, uh, full disclosure, I can't tell what's faked anymore and what's. That's not. a good so, point. Some of it, I mean, some of it's crazy, but. Um, it was uh it looked like a woman standing in what was probably her apartment with a a fighter jet blaring down at them and dropped a couple of missiles and landed in the the building next to her and kids screaming and crying and i if if you go to the discomfort you're going to have on this side of the planet for a little while while other people are losing family members and having their way of life altered possibly forever um i would encourage you to reevaluate yeah so we aren't going to be this morose throughout the show but i mean uh, it's just a horrible time like what a horrible situation and i to not acknowledge it is inhuman so this is our acknowledgement of of what's going on and it'll it'll sort of go throughout the show we are going to talk about the economic impact and how that might slow down the the world's recovery from the recession um but I, you know, hearts and prayers and thoughts and anything else I can offer to, to the people of Ukraine. It's just, it's awful. I think when you become a parent and you start just placing yourself in the shoes of parents over there, you know, it's just so hard. It's just, how do you, we're trying to explain it to our kids or you are, cause you're a good father. Imagine trying to explain it to your kid when the planes are over your head. Yeah. Tanks are rolling down that? the street and you know, got people jumping out of planes above you. And it's something that we've, uh, thankfully never had to deal with uh on on our soil in our lifetimes but well ever but uh we have that luxury and they don't you know i feel like this level of culpability personally and and how i've uh, consumed cable news in the last 20 years and how I, i have viewed controversial things or really dynamic world moments as entertainment mm. Um, and, and that's become that whole industry, right? It is sort of always towing the line of entertainment, no matter which cable news you choose to consume. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've definitely come off of that in the last couple of years because I started to sense that like, I can't act like I'm not part of the problem if I'm sitting having a glass of wine. And I used to joke, I'm going to just watch the world burn tonight and have a glass of wine. And it, it, like, I would say that. And so... It's it's weird. I'm also I'm sort of towing this line of like, well, how much do I want to know what's going on in Ukraine out of being a good citizen, and how much am I contributing to it becoming entertainment? That is thought provoking. Right, well, you know, sometimes when people say that's thought provoking, what they might be saying is, uh, that, that what you just said is real dumb. <laughs> no, I it it, it should uh, hopefully. Uh lead to some introspective thoughts and, and uh, lead us all to, or for those who care to, to <laughs> figure out how, how they, uh, how they consume media and, and uh, where they stand in all this. Let's do a radio show. Okay. This week on the Pete, the planner show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, ask Pete at Pete, the planner.com. That's ask Pete at Pete, the planner.com. And here's what will happen. We might answer your question on the air. On one of our numerous syndicated outlets. I don't even know what that means. Dame, uh, we have a lot of stations that uh, carry our show. And of course, people listen to it on podcasts and they watch it live streamed 10 a.m. on Friday mornings Eastern. Damien Dunn, hello. How are you? I am well, Pete. How are you? I'm hanging in there. A rough week for humanity uh, as uh, Russia (laughs) attacks Ukraine. And uh, so we're going to talk about some of the ramifications of that. Um, throughout the show, we are also going to talk about a, a, a shift in how retailers are distributing products and coming off the heels of a three day weekend in Chicago, I made some observations and they tend to match up with what's going on with retailers and so much more. Dame, before you and I talk about the economic impact of what's going on in Ukraine, uh, I, I you and I both want to express, uh, that, we are going to talk about the economic impact of Ukraine on people outside of Ukraine. Uh, but but really, the story here is the people of Ukraine. The, the story here isn't oil prices. The story here isn't your portfolio. The story here are the people of Ukraine. So um, as much as I think it's important for us to always analyze how world events impact us at home, 
I think it's equally important to empathize with the people that are really suffering. And so I just want to get out in front of that lest anyone think that, uh, you know, oh no, oil prices are higher. What am I going to do? Like, I, I think that's sort of a sad uh, perspective. And I want people to know that that is not our perspective. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's uh, important to keep the, the real important things in mind. Yes, there will be some uh, some some changes that we notice and feel in, in our part of the world, but it is by no means commensurate to what uh, others are going through in a very real and tangible way. Okay, so here's what we're going to do so we don't keep getting uh, stopped by our desire to express the real sorrow here. We're going to just call this a world event and, and not to make it cold, but, but, you know, just like the pandemic was a world event, just like September 11th ended up being a world event, just like uh, Bear Stearns uh, folding became a world event. We're just going to call this a world event as it relates to the economy and the market. Okay. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Because otherwise, I mean, I'm just going to trip over myself expressing my empathy. That's it. I mean, I, I mean, whether people feel like that's staged or not, I, I'm just going to get stuck in that space because the caffeine has not kicked in today. Well, uh, give Miguel another segment or two and, and we'll be rolling. All right. So, Dame, uh, naturally, when uh, news of this world event uh, happened uh, on Thursday of this week, the markets reacted as they naturally would. You saw the VIX spike, which is a volatility index. Um, things calmed down a little bit, but Dame, it's not surprising when there's a major world event for the market to get thrown into a, a hissy fit. Is that, is that a good one? Yeah, I, we've seen this starting to be priced in over the, the last couple of weeks uh, with the full uh, anticipation that there was going to be some conflict in, in that part of the world. And the, the markets did what they typically do in those situations and, and retreat a little bit. Then when it uh, actually came to fruition yesterday, dumped down real quick, but then surprisingly recovered for whatever reason. So I, I think there's a, a lesson there as well, or a potential lesson, depending on where things go from here. Uh, we've talked many times about what your outlook and what your time horizon is and, and what are things to make you reconsider your investment allocation. And, and world events are, are something that definitely uh, put a magnifying glass on on where your investments lie and, and what you are actually willing to tolerate as far as risk. And, and what we see now is that uh, nobody knows what direction they're going to go. I, I think that is one of the uh, things that has become most clear to me over the last week is that, yes, we would anticipate them to go down. But if you thought the markets were going to finish higher yesterday, I don't think you would have been, you would have definitely been in the minority on that. Uh, it would have seemed very logical they would have gone down. So that being said, if you are at all uneasy with how your investments are performing, I would encourage you to talk to a professional about trying to figure out a good risk tolerance and make sure that you are uh, positioned properly for, for where you're at. Yeah, you know, so since you know we were mentioning all world events that have occurred in our lifetime, you know, we'll call it the last 30 years just to make ourselves seem younger. But you got September 11th, you've got the housing collapse 2008, 2009, you've got the recession uh, that followed, you've got the pandemic, and then you've got Russia attacking Ukraine. Dame, do you think people's fear around their own portfolio is impacted as to whether the crisis is domestic or otherwise? Because um, during the housing meltdown and during September 11th, I think people could tell themselves stories as to why this time is different and, and they must act. Do you think people are doing that this time? Do you think anyone domestically is going, well, this time is different and I must de-risk my portfolio? I think there are some people that are trying to look way too far down the road on this. I, I don't know if you've spent much time on social media looking at stuff like this, but uh, it is not uncommon to see people throw around world, the World War Three uh, sort of, uh, that, that's where we're that's headed. Sort of. No, it's not fun at all. And if that's where you think you're headed or this is all, all headed, uh, then yeah, it would make a lot of sense to me on why you would be very nervous about the, the future of your investments. If you think this is uh, something that is going to have some uh, ripple effect to this part of the country, uh, then I think this is a, a question that needs to be answered 
uh, much like we, I, I just discussed a, a couple minutes ago, that you need to make sure that you are invested properly for your risk tolerance and your time horizon and risk capacity and, and all that good stuff. But uh, I, don't, I don't know that I, I've heard too many people uh, say pull everything out just yet, which is kind of surprising to me, to be, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, if if the economy shutting down and being flipped off like a light switch in March of 2020 wasn't enough to spook you out of a portfolio, respectfully, I'm not sure Russia attacking Ukraine is going to be the thing that does it. I, I, and it's also worth noting, and we've talked about this for two years, literally two years. Uh, oh, by the way, time out on this idea. We need to revisit the first time we talked about COVID on this show. <laughs> do you remember that clip? Uh, I think I do. I'm going to find that clip and we're going to play it. Uh, one of the first shows of March. Cause it's basically you and I saying, so what's about to happen here? Yeah. And, okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's worth noting that at the February 19th of 2020 to March 23rd, the market, the S and P 500 fell 34%. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is 2020. This is COVID related 34%. That means the market did enter a bear market. We are now in correction territory with the S and P 500. That's when the market falls somewhere between 10 to 20%. That has happened dozens of times since world war two. And it usually only takes four months to recover from that. We did dip into bear market territory yesterday, midday with the S and P 500 yesterday being Thursday, the 24th. And so Dame, I'm not saying that the bear market is here, but the, the bear stuck its head around the corner yesterday, midday. Uh, but I'm not so sure we're entering a bear market. Yeah, I'm, I'm not either. I, I have no uh, insider information to try and determine where this is headed because uh, like everybody else listening, well, 99% of everybody else listening, I'm along for the ride on this. I, I'm not sure what direction things are headed. And, and uh, if, uh, if things stay in bear territory or go back in bear territory, wouldn't surprise me. And if they turn around, it wouldn't be the biggest shock in my life either. Yeah, you know, I, I, without sounding flippant, whether we enter bear market territory, as I look at my own personal finances, or not, I can't say that I care, right? Because I'm not accessing any of my money for a long time anyway. So whether it takes 148 days to recover like it did in 2020 while entering a bear market, or whether it takes the 4.2 years that it typically takes to exit a bear market or to recover from a bear market, I don't know if I care. I, I mean, I, I don't, but now you know, my interests aren't limited to my own front door. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about what cryptocurrency did with all of this and oil and so much more. I'm Pete the Planner. Whew. Caught there at the end. I almost went over. That would have been a disaster. I mean, for, for the station. Hello, everybody. Uh, Rick Swink. Makes it in. Good morning, Rick. Hello, Brian. Uh, Mr. Pinkins. Jeremy says we're on the never-ending gloom and uh, uh, doom and gloom ride. Once this Ukrainian attack gets resolved, then we will move on to the next housing market crash. Happy Friday. Too soon? That's. I mean, you do have to like denews yourself from time to time. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know. It's it's interesting because, yes, humanity will suffer if there's a housing market crash, like, uh, obviously. But I feel a little more okay with investing time in reading about Ukraine than I do getting caught up in the doom and the gloom of the market, the housing market crash, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. All right. Dame, let's come back, do some crypto. Yeah, there's a few elements of this that are just fascinating, like our economic sanctions to Russia and how those could impact the economy. I don't understand that stuff. <laughs> just so you know. It's really interesting. So let's talk about it for nine minutes. Yeah. All right, let's go. I got a lot of important things to do. Three, two. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Uh, Dame talking about the impact on the world economy of Russia attacking Ukraine in time a country attacks a sovereign nation, tries to surround the capital. We are recording this uh, event. We are recording this uh, podcast slash radio show 
on Friday, February 25th at 10, 19 a.m. It is right now when world news happens. It happens so fast that I want to make sure that if people are listening to this after the fact that they they know that this is recorded and uh, we may miss what is yet to come. Dame, obviously, as we mentioned to start the show, uh, our main concern are for the people of Ukraine um, and our, our thoughts and prayers are with them. But we are going to take this opportunity to talk about this world in, uh, event and how it impacts other people, other nations. Uh, Dame, oil prices naturally spiked. Um, that, that makes a lot of sense based on uh, where oil and gas comes from. Uh, you know, as you look at the impact of that on people's personal economy, initially, directly, and then indirectly with the price of goods being moved uh, and the impact of higher fuel prices, uh, what, what do you, what do you think? Do you think that is a big, big, big problem? Or is it just something that people turn to because they're used to turning to high oil prices? Uh, it's going to be, uh, an issue, uh, domestically for a lot of families, but for, um, a number of, uh, probably a greater number of families, it'll be absorbed in, in one way or the other, and it'll be an inconvenience and, a, a, a temporary setback to achieving some of your financial goals. But, Oil is one of the easy things for uh, for us to uh, highlight and key in on because it's so imperative to our economy, not only our individual family economies, but the the country's economy and the global economy uh, as well. So when when we naturally turn to oil and what it, what a, a worldwide event is is doing to the price and the the supply of oil, it makes perfect sense on why we would check there and and try and judge what uh, fallout that's going to have. How about cryptocurrency? Because, you know, when when the news of the invasion hit, crypto has already been struggling a little bit as of late, and you saw crypto prices plummet. Um, and they've recovered a little bit. But, you know, I go back to this idea that crypto is like this hedge, or it's its own category that that doesn't have a direct correlation to the equity markets. And I'm having a hard time proving that to be true. Yeah, uh, it's weird. I mean, you, you'll hear, hear people try and say that crypto is uh, the the next gold and that it's a store of value. But yet at the same time, it can be used for purchasing things in a currency at the same time. And <clears throat> it's it's kind of hard to see how all of those things can line up in the best of times it's hard to see how all of those things can line up but then we see what happens on uh, a worldwide scale when an event like this happens and uh, the price drops precipitously very very quickly and then you have uh, the the praises starting to be sung of of the uh, of the setup of crypto by politicians around the world and how it could help us uh, not only not only help people uh, get around some of the pain that they're feeling uh, but but uh, leap them forward in their their personal financial situations, and then you have another news story that says that, that crypto may help Russia uh, get around some of the sanctions that have been placed on them by other countries. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, and so it's it's super interesting to see how uh, there are so many different perspectives that can be had on one sector of. Uh, I hesitate to say they're investments, but they're they're not currency. I, I don't even know how to classify them appropriately at this point. Dame, it's your favorite time. It's called Peter Reads Numbers on the radio. So it is 24 hours removed as we record this Friday morning from the market opening uh, after Ukraine was invaded by Russia. And I just want to tell you what is happening in investment markets across the globe as of right now in real time. The uh, the U.S. stock market is up today about 1%, just a little bit short of 1%. In Asia, uh, specifically Japan, the market was up 2%. Uh, in Europe, the market is up anywhere from 275 to 3.5%. Oil is down today. Uh, it's Brent... Oil is at $98 a barrel and uh, just oil. I don't know the difference. I honestly don't. Is at $92 a barrel. Gold is down 2% today. Silver down 3%. Palladium, your favorite store of wealth, mm -hmm. is down 5.55%. 
Cryptocurrencies up two and a half percent today. And so, Dame, as you look at again, world events, horrific crisis, the markets at this point, 24 hours later, and I don't mean to sound callous or marginalize what's going on, it's sort of shrugging this off. Well, like I said, they, over the last couple of weeks, they've, they've started to price all this in. And I, I think they were waiting for the other shoe to drop to see what the magnitude of the uh, invasion was going to be and how it was going to go. And uh, as part of me wonders if uh, the eventual duration of this event has any impact on what the markets end up doing. But it's, um, I, like I said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the markets ended up today uh, versus versus going down more. So I, I don't know. Uh, Rick Swink, regular listener uh, and viewer on our Facebook live show right now, uh, asked the question, when I refer to the market, am I looking at the Dow or the S&P? That's a really good question. You know, and I, I have my answer is real dumb. Dame, do you have a good answer for that? Because my answer is dumb that I will give in a moment. But let's let's have you give a better answer. When you talk about the market, are you referencing one or the other and or both? Almost always the S&P when I say the market, because it's a little bit broader for an index. The, S&P, the Dow is going to be comprised of uh, 30 very well-known large stocks. But uh, I think the S&P 500 is a marginally better uh benchmark for how the market is actually performing just because there are more uh, individual companies inside of it. So here's my dumb answer. My answer is very similar to yours, but, but, but yours is smart because here's where mine takes a weird turn. I really am referencing the S&P, but when I go to, to get a look at what the markets are doing, I always look at the Dow first, even though I don't care at all about it. And then my eyes make their way to the S&P, which is really silly. Like why even have the Dow on there on my screen? Because I don't care about it. Yet it's so iconic. I, I always yeah. look and, and I know that the Dow is over 33,500 and that's always just been a historic marker. Uh, and I couldn't have told you until I just looked that the S&P is at 4,300 and I had no idea. Yeah, if you were to, would have asked me what the what the S and P was at, I couldn't have told you. I just look for daily, weekly, monthly, whatever uh, changes to see how that's going to get a, a pulse for how uh, investments are going. So, uh, I guess in conclusion, <laughs> I was helping my son write a paper the other night, mm-hmm. and he was like, "I go, I have a conclusion paragraph. What do I do?" And I was like, <laughs> "In conclusion, which is never what you do. Uh, in conclusion, here's the thing." Uh, most of our energy should really be uh, dedicated towards uh, empathizing with the people of Ukraine and doing whatever we potentially could do to to help lessen the blow of what's happening. As it relates to our financial lives, yeah, there are going to be economic repercussions. Inflation is going to remain high. I mean, it is. I, it is just, just no way around it, especially if you're a commuter. If you have a hybrid option or you're still working remotely, you're going to get less of a bite. Someone like you, Dame, might six mile commute to work isn't going to hurt me that bad. Uh, but I, and I, and I don't think the markets are going to be that impacted either, certainly in the long term. I mean, if there's a, some volatility for the next couple months, I guess it all depends on the biggest factor in all of this. How does the rest of the world react if the sanctions put in place to Russia have absolutely no impact. If other boots get on the ground, if other planes get put in the air, then I think this takes another turn. And I think that's what we're keeping our eye on. I agree. And it's with that. (laughs) Coming up after the break, we're going to lighten it up a little bit. We're going to talk about trends in retail. Like, are people going to start being very exclusive of who they let sell their products so they can sell direct? That is next. I'm Pete the Planner. This is our show. Everyone always wonders, what is he writing down? Of course, people in the podcast can't see that when a segment ends, I write down something. I write down the time of where the segment ends. So when I go back and edit the show and cut it up to send to the radio station, uh, it makes my editing go a little bit faster. Because as you know, I'm a very busy person with very important things. Of Dame, I want to tell you about the structure of the rest of my day, just so, so you know. Uh, but not too many details. I am doing a live event for the city of Columbus, Ohio. Um, we're doing a series for them, for their, for the, the municipality itself. So I'm doing that at uh, noon today for an hour. That's been a fun series. Uh, then I have a three-hour meeting, <laughs> three-hour Zoom call uh, with a group of people. 
And then uh, Oz and I are doing a, a demo of a software that we might buy uh, around 4.30. Then I'm going to go home and pour whiskey into my face. That's my day. I like the last part. The other night, it was uh, a Wednesday night. Uh, occasionally, I have like a 90 minutes by myself at my house on Wednesday nights. Hmm. It's a, it's a very strange thing. So uh, I took my daughter to gymnastics, got home, made myself my favorite current cocktail, which is a paper plane. And uh, I sipped it and worked. And it was like the best, most productive 90 minutes. And I listened to A Tribe Called Quest. That's what I did. And it was wonderful. Nice. Are you, uh, are you still using the, uh, the giant ice balls? Um, I do occasionally use the ice balls. This was a shaken cocktail, so it was already cold and it was served up. A paper plane. Is everyone ready to hear the recipe for my favorite drink, the paper plane? Dame? Hold on. Write this down. Brian Pinkins, write this down. Okay. Dame, you're going to have one ounce of freshly squeezed lemon juice. Mm -hmm. Okay. One ounce of Aperol, which is an Italian bitters. Oh, I thought you were, I was going to ask about Granny Smith or Aperitif. Honey Crisp. Or... No, 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 no. Aperol. A P E R O L. Aperol. It's bright red. Then an ounce of Amaro Nonino. Amaro is an Italian liqueur. Okay. You, you can already see that the price list ingredients are a little climbing, <laughs> climbing a little here. I need spell check on this. Okay. Then finally, one ounce of 100 proof bourbon choose it i like old granddad uh maybe you like wild turkey 101 i don't know so you take four of these things you put it in a shaker and you shake the absolute bejesus out of it Hmm. then you strain of course into like a nick and nora glass (laughs) or a coupe and you drink it and it is delightful it is delightful very bitter very sour, boozy, and it's delicious. Do they have, uh, you know, like the uh, paint mixers that you see at the big box stores that shake the oh. cans really? Do you think they'd make one of those for uh, drinks? They absolutely do. There is a bar, bar in New Orleans, which I'm going to in about two weeks, that has this hand crank that makes drinks. They set, sets them in like a shaker, and then they put them in this machine. It's like this <laughs> old-timey thing. And then, then they crank it like an organ grinder and it just shakes all the different bottles and they serve them because that that huh. bar makes so many of a certain drink. Huh. Interesting. Uh, oh, wait, hold on. Um, Rick says, Rick always is bringing the big Rick energy. I learned recently via YouTube how to make my own clear ice. I make a few batches at a time and I keep it stored in gallon freezer bags. It's awesome. Yeah, I've done that. It's, it is awesome. Um, and Brian asked, do we serve uh, the paper plane over ice? You do not serve the paper plane over ice. It is so cold by the time you shake it. Mm. That's one of my favorite parts of making a, 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 a cocktail is the shaking process. It is cathartic, <gasps> which brings me to what I, I'm so glad I remember what I'm about to do. I don't know why I'm doing this because I do have to go, but this is dumb. <laughs> but this is amazing. Are you ready? Is everyone ready? To have their life changed. All right. Yeah, that's it. Take a big old drink of Miguel. Let's go. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Carl Icahn, right? Uh Uh-huh. Billionaire investor, like iconic investor, um, Carl Icahn. He's 86, 87 years old. Yeah. Was, you know, head of TWA, was involved with the Texaco deal and so many other things. Like iconic investor. It's worth $16.6 billion. Mm-hmm. There's a documentary on HBO Max about him that I convinced Mrs. Planer to watch. Holy moly, Dame. Yeah. You've got to watch it for two, three reasons. The first is it's just really interesting it, and it's well done. But the next two reasons are why <laughs> you should watch it. So he's this charismatic, funny New Yorker, right? And so he, he, he has a New York accent and he tells compelling stories. And he's telling this story about doing business with this Texas lawyer. So here's this guy in a very thick New York accent. An 86-year-old man with a thick New York accent doing a Texas accent. <laughs> they have... 
<laughs> the documentary makers had to put subtitles. <laughs> Dave, it was, I was crying. I had to pause it. And I was, I fell off my chair. I was laughing so hard. I was screaming. My kids came downstairs. They're like, what is wrong with you? I'd had a long day. It was unbelievable. It, I, I can't, the accent of New York and Texas together, like you could do a Texas or a Southern draw, right? I mean, anybody can do it. Yeah. He can't. They had really? to subtitle it. <laughs> and I, I asked Mrs. Planner, I was like, do you think I could actually play that clip on the air? And she's like, I don't know with copyright. I'm like, I don't want to mess with that. But so that's reason number two, you should watch it. But reason number three, and this one seems a little, um, this one seems a little strange because he's an 86 year old man and it actually seems very judgmental, but how he shakes a cocktail because he was making himself a martini. And that's what made me think of it. Cause we're about shaking cocktails. I, I mean, it was like a guy shaking dice, you know, like about to throw dice, <laughs> but it's very casual. And I mean, who knows where, you know, how you, if yeah. you can't shake his arm or something yeah. like that. So again, I'm not making fun of him, but it was just like, just watching him sh shake a cocktail where I'm in the, like I'm like getting after it, like I, I I've been to Zumba, and he's shaking cocktail. Like you gotta see it. It's it's the best show I've seen. I uh, I would love to watch it. I'm gonna need your uh, username and password. Why don't you leave that in the show notes, and I'll just pick it up there later. Can we have a judgy conversation about sharing access to digital streaming platforms? Sure. Okay. I don't. Why am I doing this? I was just going to see how long it took for you to realize that you don't have time for this. I really, I honestly don't. Oh, okay. I got to do it though. Let's just start here. In college, Napster was a big part of my life. Yes. I mean, a big part of my life. Post-graduation, when BitTorrent became a technology, BitTorrents were a part of my life until I drew a line in the sand one day, not under the threat of prosecution, <laughs> where I just said, you know, I'm a content creator. I own various trademarks. I have intellectual property. And I feel dismay when those rights are violated. And so I drew a line in the sand and said, I am not going to do that because it would frustrate me as a creator. Sure. Okay. But now the new version of this essentially is just sharing your passwords to streaming services amongst family and friends. And, um, it's always done under the guise of, uh, well, of course, frugality or, uh, you know, it's just a smart thing to do. But, but there's always this thing of like sticking it to the man, you know? Sure. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm being judgy today. I, I think I have a problem with that. Well, I, I think you're well within your rights to have a problem with that. I normally see that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I really see that as often as I used to. I, I think now you are allowed so many different um, accounts on a certain membership or certain subscriptions that maybe people uh, have people chip in a couple bucks to defray the cost of a, a subscription, but they get a get one of those accounts that goes along with it. Um, but no, I I hadn't put two and two together. This was the new version of Napster to to go that route. That's interesting. Uh, by the way, Jeremy just looked up the recipe for the paper plane and says that all of the four ingredients show three quarters of an ounce as opposed to one ounce. He's right, but I make a four ounce version. <laughs> it's I don't know if he was trying to shame you or embarrass, but the, the, no, the, there's no there's no need for that, Jeremy. Uh, one final story: uh, We were in Chicago this weekend as a family, and I'm going to talk about that in the next segment a little bit. Uh, we went to Italy, which is like the, this giant Italian grocery store that's in the middle of Chicago and a lot of big cities. And we were buying some things for home and it's all self-scan, like self-checkout. And so I scan a bottle of wine and then a, some store clerk has to come over and enter their ID because I'm buying alcohol. And then I scan a bottle of Amaro um, and um, and then I pack up my stuff and leave. And so I'm at home uh, early later earlier this week. Uh, after we arrived home from Chicago and I happened to look at the receipt from Italy because we bought a bunch of pasta and coffee and other sort of stuff. And I noticed that when I was doing the scanning, even though I heard a beep, it didn't charge me for the Amaro. Dame, I'm a shoplifter. And you're announcing it on a podcast. No, I called Italy and I paid oh, them. Okay. Okay. I called them and paid them. I cannot sleep. Like I, I'm not, I, I have a weird, uh, set of ethics. I, I could just couldn't do it. Like it just like, it's a, 
it's like a $50 bottle of Amaro or something like that. I, I could not justify like now that I know that I accidentally shoplifted it, I couldn't sleep if I didn't call them and pay for it. Was uh, was Mrs. Planner disgusted with you that you had shoplifted or was she secretly looking at like, oh, I'm finally getting that bad guy that I always wanted? <laughs> That's right. No, she knows how uh, boorish I am. Oh, okay. uh, so, all right. Let's start the show. How much time did we just do there? Oh, this isn't good. Okay, I gotta go. Three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Dame, there is a new trend in retail that is curious to say the least. This comes from CNBC. Foot Locker shares sink after the retailer says its 2022 sales will fall as it expects to sell fewer Nike products. So stay with me for a second here, please, sir. Foot Locker projects revenue to drop in 2022 as it anticipates it will no longer be able to sell as many products from its top vendor, Nike. There was a period in time, by the way, Dame, in which did you straddle this moment in time where you called Nike both Nike and Nike? I never called it Nike. I had like, I feel like I did like in fourth grade or something like that. Mm -hmm. But then obviously, I don't know. Anyway, uh, the adjustments reflect the accelerated shift by Nike to to sell more of its sneakers and apparel directly to consumers. Falaker also said this year it will be lapping a period where consumers had extra stimulus dollars in their pockets to spend. Okay, you and I have been talking about that for two years of course that's what's going to happen 2022 is going to be a weird year march 10th oddly enough we are doing a webinar for businesses to help them understand their employees are going to have less disposable income and that's going to impact the workplace significantly because of things like this and of course inflation and how that impacts people's stress but dame the bigger issue here that you and i want to discuss is more businesses like nike are saying now we're going to just go straight to consumer. I was in Chicago this past weekend. I went to a number of high-end sneaker stores because, frankly, I'd never been in one. I've seen them on YouTube, mm-hmm. but I went in them, and what they they have one they have a giant sneaker wall of one sneaker, like designer, like custom Jordans and Air Force Ones, and they're wrapped in Saran wrap. And then on the bottom, there's a sticker that tells you the cost of them, which are all like 350 bucks a pair and the, the sizes they have available. So there, there's usually like three sizes they have and then that shoe is gone and then they replace it. Like, so it's, it's a wild thing. And, but this is like a, um, this is where I sound like an old man. It's like a new thing. It's like there's a whole new sneakerhead industry where you go to a store and people just hand over fist buy $350 custom sneakers. And so this is why Nike is trying to better control their product. And you were saying before the show today, they're not the only industry doing that. No, I've seen an article that uh, suggests that car manufacturers might start going this route as well, whether they're going to uh, just... uh, set up some of their their own uh, locations or maybe take over some of their lower performing franchisees and they're going to sell direct to the consumer much like the way Tesla does or at least they're going to try to and I, there may be some regulations that have to change uh, for that to happen but they it would be a much different buying experience there would be a handful of cars on the lot where you could go and test drive a car and uh, then basically pick out the options that you want, and then the car will be delivered to the dealership within a day or two. They would be housed at some central location, uh, drop the car off that you want in the exact color and spec that you you ordered uh, or that you chose, and uh, you drive off with your new car. And it will be a, a, a completely different buying experience than what most people get right now. I, I guess Tesla buyers are very, very close to that uh, experience at the moment, but uh, other car manufacturers are starting to see that the the, uh, the process could be a lot different after the last couple of years, and they could uh, cut out the middleman and go direct to consumer. Do you think that'll change the economics of the pricing of, of the car because there won't be the commission that goes to the salesperson? You mean, do I think the car manufacturer <laughs> is going to take less money just because uh, they they don't have to pay somebody else to do their selling for them? No, no, I don't. Uh, this reminds me of a couple things. Number one, uh, the ordering kiosks at McDonald's or the automated teller machines, not classic ATMs, but like intense ones at Chase Bank, where 
by cutting out a part of the labor force in the process, by streamlining the customer experience, theoretically, the customer wins and it's just an easier business to scale. But Dame, you and I got to talking about this and there's a clothing store at, at a mall near my home. Um, there's a, the clothing, the mall is the fashion mall. Um, and the clothing store is Bonobos, which is a men's clothing brand owned by Walmart, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. But it is uh, a really nice clothing brand. I don't mean to have this shock in my voice that there's a really nice clothing brand owned by Bo- uh, by Walmart, but I do. So deal with it. Dame, this store is a small store. They have beautiful clothes in there. You cannot leave the store with any of the clothes. You go there like a Tesla dealership showroom. You try stuff on and then they ship it to you. You can't actually go to the store and walk out with anything. In f- that is maddening to me. Absolutely maddening. I would understand if this were uh, a situation where they were making custom clothes for you, but that's not the case. Uh, We could come up with all sorts of reasons why this would, in theory, make sense uh, for a a business to to cut down on manufacturing and a little bit of overhead and and all that good stuff. But as a consumer, that is so far removed from what we're used to, especially with something like clothing where you just walk into a store and comb through the racks and find what you want and uh, you walk out with it if you like it. So it would be interesting to see how, I wonder how long it takes to get those clothes shipped to you. If they expedite them and, and they're on your doorstep in a couple days, or if it's, you know, seven to 10 days later, it shows up in a damaged box and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you, you, you've forgotten you bought them by then. But I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm going to tell on myself Oh, for uh, Christmas this year. Uh, I purchased a pair of shoes for Mrs. Planner from a store at the fashion mall in which they did not have her size because she has the foot the size of a seven-year-old. Uh, and so, and so uh, they were like, ah, oh, we'll just ship it right to your house. Of course, I thought, oh, crap. Then she'll see. Yeah. Uh, and sorry for the strong language, everybody. They'll, they'll see it's on the front porch. And so then I had to ship to our offices here. It arrived the next day. And so... I was willing to do that for someone else. Like I was willing to buy sure. something and then have it shipped a day later. But for myself, I couldn't possibly be okay <laughs> with shipping something and having it a day later, even if I wasn't going to wear it the next day, because that need of tangibility of acquiring something and touching it on the same day is just too much for me to overcome. I think you are going too far with this. I, if, you, if they knew that you were going to have it next day, you don't think you would. How long do you think it would take you to get used to that? I went in there after the holiday and I saw like a sweatshirt that I liked. It had like a big parrot or something on it. It would, it was, so it was pretty wild. And I was like, God, I really like that. And then the guy comes over and he's like, first of all, they want you to have an appointment. They want you to have like a 30 minute appointment with them. <laughs> and I'm like, what's look, Don't get me wrong. I, I've, I've been down that road before, but like, I, I like, I just want a parrot sweatshirt. Is that wrong? And then I just left the store. He's like, well, you do understand how it works here. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm that's why I'm leaving your store with nothing, and you're not leaving with uh, my my money. You do understand how it works, don't you? Wow, I'm, I know. I just don't. And the the weird thing is, it's like, <laughs> why are we talking about that? The weird thing is, like this store, it's great, a great clothes across the way, just just across the way, uh, like a sand wedge for Ted, uh, at J Crew, and just to the left. Nordstrom. Mm-hmm. So why would you not just go to those two places and buy something of equal quality and style and just be done? Got me. I, I really don't. Uh, maybe well, did they have Paris sweatshirts? That's a good point. They, their clothes are unique enough, but like J Crew doesn't have a parrot collection. Um, you know they don't have a parrot program. Macaw. <laughs> <laughs> Let's acknowledge that I just laughed at you for the first time. Yes. Okay, Dame, here's what we're going to do. Coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week. And uh, we're going to do some news. Uh, that's what we're doing this week. So if you're just joining us, look for retailers to continuously cut out the middleman. Uh, just in the way Peloton has. Mm-hmm. Just in the way that uh, 
you know, uh, Bomba socks have, Allbird shoes. That's what's coming. And Nike is trying to do it next. And since they're the biggest name in footwear, uh, they will likely succeed at this. And Foot Locker and Finish Line will suffer for it. And with that, I send you a, a goodbye for just a few moments. We'll be back right after this. Does Nike still offer uh, the ability to customize your shoes from the I factory? Think so. Yeah, I think yeah. Phil Schumann always does that. Our friend from uh, Indiana University, executive director. His his title is always evolving. He runs financial wellness at IU. First guy I've seen with a business card that folds out to to cover all of the title. You know who has got really long job titles? No. Uh, Eli Lilly. Or just oh, Lily. Really? I mean, do people call Eli Lily anymore? It's just Lily. It's Lily. Yeah. I I'm not kidding. I was emceeing some event. I don't know. Time's bad for me. Six years ago, a week ago, I don't know. And I read this woman's title. I, I mean, it was like a CVS receipt. It was unbelievable. It's terrible. It was as long as The Rock's pregame speech during the Super Bowl. Did you have to pause and take a breath to finish the title? Did you watch that? I no. I, I saw a gif of it and I didn't have the heart to turn on the audio. It was a bit much. I didn't seem like it was I mean it seemed very Hollywood, but not my cup of tea. Okay. I loved his pants though. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought I thought you'd go with his vest. Um, I don't know. It depends. They wouldn't fit me because we have different size pectoral muscles. Mm-hmm. Uh Rick says uh, Pete, your story reminds me of when my wife and I drove three hours to get to the closest love sack store. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we drove the truck 11 miles per gallon with the expectation that we would be taking home a couch. Well, they only had display models, no stock in the store, ended up ordering online from an iPad at the store. Exactly, Rick. Exactly. <laughs> man, living in 2022 is hard, man. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. That's really funny. <laughs> that's when you know you're like a dopey Midwestern dad. You know, like that's totally something I would do, except I don't have a truck. Dame does though, and it's got a, he pushes snow with it. Yeah. It gets have you pushed any snow this week? No, it gets 11 miles to the gallon, just like Rick's though. I have got to go. Okay. You ready? Yeah. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show is... Damn, I'm going to tell you what it is. You ready to hear it? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Here it is, buddy. (laughs) It is this thing here. (laughs) The Urwerk UR112 Aggregate Odyssey Watch. Urwerk is known for its novel approach to timekeeping. Their latest limited edition offering, the UR112 Aggregate Odyssey, is no exception. Jumping hours and trailing minutes are displayed on black aluminum prisms visible through large sapphire crystal windows on the front of the timepiece. It's powered by a UR13.01 automatic movement with a 48-hour power reserve set within a central titanium body with two steel wing nuts and a grooved steel cover that opens vertically for viewing the secondary power reserve and digital seconds indications. In total, the watch is 42 millimeters wide and 51 millimeters tall with a mix of matte and glossy, polished and sandblasted services and is set on a black textile strap dame we're looking at it right now it is uh as as rick makes a a comment it looks like an alarm clock the front of an alarm clock and if you look at your watch if you haven't been wearing a watch right now see where the strap connects to the actual timepiece that that's where the numbers are. That's where the time is. It's not on top of the watch. Now it's on that side. And Dame, I want you to guess how much the Urwerk UR112 aggregate Odyssey watch would cost a brother. Uh, we've talked watches a few times on the show and we've mentioned some incredibly stupid prices. And this has the uh, distinction of being not really all that practical and not everybody's cup of tea for design, so I'm going to go with uh, twelve thousand five hundred dollars. 
Oh, other guesses uh, on Facebook Live right now. Uh, my man, Mr. Brian Pinkins, $4,000. Danza, listener of the year from two years ago, says $800. The answer is $273,000. That was just off. $273,000. It does look like number five from Short Circuit as that, well. That's an amazing <laughs> reference. That, that's great. Dane, what's in the news this week? Pete. <laughs> A wide-ranging internal revenue service proposal overhaul rules to, for require minimum distributions from retirement plans to align with landmark bill Congress passed no more than two years ago. The hefty proposal provides long-awaited, I know I've been anxiously awaiting this, implementation details and also updates RMD policy to reflect other legislative changes. What's this about RMDs, you say? Well, the proposal brings RMD regulations into agreement with the SECURE Act. You remember that thing? Nope. Which raised from uh, the RMD age from 70 and a half to 72, which is when retirees must start to withdraw money from individual retirement accounts and other plans. The measure also ended so-called stretch IRAs, limiting uh, them to 10 years, the amount of time a non-spouse beneficiary has to take distributions. Well, that's not too terribly complicated, but... Buckle up. In general, a non-spouse beneficiary who is more than 10 years younger than the IRA holder can maintain the investment until the 10th year. No distributions being required in years one through nine. So that means uh, somebody dies, uh, Uncle Harry uh, leaves you the IRA. You don't have to take any distributions from year one to nine, but that account has to be empty year 10. So no year, no annual RMDs, Unless you want to, but the account has to be empty year 10. That, However, that seems complicated. Uh, it, it is more complicated than it used to be. However, the proposed regulations somewhat unexpectedly say that when RMDs have already begun to the participant, after death distributions must continue to be made in years one to nine in that situation with the remaining account balance distributed no later than year 10. That, that doesn't seem ideal. No, no. So now you've got to figure out, uh, were they already taking RMDs? Because uh, that's going to determine whether or not you have to take annual RMDs. The proposal also sets a specific time for the stretch IRA ban clock to begin for children who inherit an IRA. Children can take lifetime distributions until they reach age 21. At that point, they must liquidate the IRA in 10 years. So you're saying the government wants tax revenue? Yes, I am saying the government wants tax revenue and they will play nice in certain situations and in others, they're just going to say, you've got 10 years and then it's, well, we'll get ours. Dame, we're going to play a little game here called Name the Top 10 Countries that we have listeners in of our podcast. <laughs> top 10 countries that we have listeners in in the podcast. Okay, I have the statistics right here. So you know number one. Good old US of A. Okay, number two. Canada. Correct. Number three. England. Correct. Number four. Uh, Australia. Holy, are you, did I, am I sharing no. my screen? No. No. You're on fire. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, it's going to get really sketchy at this point. Uh, by the way, we have listeners in uh, a lot of countries, like over 50. Uh, next. Uh, France. Oh, I'm jumping in now. Germany, then Brazil, then Japan, then Mexico, Puerto Rico, Thailand, Ireland, Switzerland, France, Taiwan, Netherlands, Hong Kong, Singapore, United Arab Emirates, Belgium, Italy, New Zealand, New Zealand, New Zealand, <laughs> Guatemala, India, Spain, South Africa, Turkey, Chile, uh, Malaysia, Norway, Denmark, Russian Federation, Korea, uh, Sweden, Panama, Cyprus, Poland, Dominican Republic, Finland, Jamaica, Philippines, Bahrain, Egypt, Costa Rica, Azerbaijan, Vietnam, Ghana, Croatia, Qatar, or Qatar, Israel, Indonesia, Kazakhstan, uh, respect, I may have mispronounced that, Turks and Caicos, Hungary, Iran, St. Lucia, Bahamas, Argentina, Belize, Zambia, uh, and the list goes on. And that's people that listen to our show. There's like three people in most of those countries that listen to our show. Okay, I will say this. There is one download from Bangladesh. 
It was an accident. They thought they were getting Pete the Cat. I will say there's also one listener from Equatorial Guinea. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, one listener from Isle of Man. Nice. They have a fantastic race. All right. All right, so, Dame, we're going to play another game here. I don't know why we're doing this. What's interesting? Uh, Dame, how many listeners do we have in Belize? 72. Nine. Oh. Okay. What else is in the news? Uh, the SEC is reportedly investigating whether tis, uh, Tesla stock sales by its BFF Elon Musk and his brother Kimball violate oh. insider trading rules. Kimball serves on Tesla's board of directors and sold 88,500 shares one day before Elon tweeted a poll asking followers if he should sell 10% of his Tesla stock. Pete, are they going to get slapped on the wrist? Yeah. <laughs> they are going to get tickled in the midsection is what they're going to Nothing's going to happen because, first of all, of course this is what happened. And of course that's exactly what happened. And... The SEC does nothing about all of Elon Musk's uh, alleged alleged uh, manipulation of the stock market, which occurs almost on a daily basis, allegedly. What would have been more egregious, to sell it or to short it? <laughs> By the way, that's a great question. It's a great question. Egregious, definitely to short it. Yeah, I think so. Um, no, nothing will happen. What do you think? No, I, I, it'll be a non-story. It's just uh, fun to always hear the updates on the relationship between SEC and Elon Musk. By the way, and, and we referenced this a couple weeks ago by not actually referencing it. When Martha Stewart was put in prison for insider trading, what she did was so much less significant than what we've just discussed with Elon Musk and his brother, Kendall. Yeah, but think of all the uh, the delicious uh, pastries she probably got to make while she was there. I don't know. She served her time. That's why I don't like making an example. I mean, she served her time. That's yeah. that's how we do it. You know, yeah. you mess up, serve your time, and then you're back in society. That's how it has to be. Damon's with that message that uh, we're done. Send you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planter. Thank you for listening. This is the show. That's all I got, man. I do have to go. Um, hey, Dame, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Enjoy your three-hour Zoom. Oh, my God. <laughs> Everybody else, I hope you have a good week. Um, and uh, our thoughts are with the people of Ukraine. And I hope that takes a turn the other direction because it's not looking good right now. So, anyway, stay getting money, y'all. <laughs>